All right. Good morning. Welcome to Cedar Mill. My name's Dave, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's an exciting month as we have not only our high school students that are with us every week and our middle school kids that join us periodically, but this month our elementary aged students are staying with us for the entire service, which has been a lot of fun. And as they're with us, we're in a series that we're calling Elements. And the idea behind this series is that we're taking a look at how God uses the things of this world, things that we can see and feel and smell and touch, to teach us about him, what it looks like to follow him, what it means to be a part of his kingdom in this world, which is sometimes hard for us to grasp. And so God brings it down to our level and he uses the elements to teach us. And in week one, we talked about soil and Jesus compared the soil of the earth to our hearts. And he says, in the same way that a plant longs to take root in soil and grow. God wants his kingdom to take root in our hearts and in our lives, and he wants to grow his abundant life in us. And then last week, Pastor Gabby talked about wind and how wind, like the Spirit of God, is a powerful force to guide and to lead our lives. And I was not here. I was off on vacation, but I heard there were bubbles a big bubble or two, and then a lot of little bubbles after the service. It was a bubble Sunday. But this week, soil, uh, wind, this week we're going to talk about fire. And fire is such an interesting thing. It's powerful, it's useful, it's mysterious, it's majestic, it's mesmerizing. In fact, some people are very, extremely mesmerized by fire, and we call them adolescent males. <laughs> you see, fire is something that has a lot of different uses, but one thing fire often does is I see fire bringing people together. You notice how people just come together around fire. It happens so often in our world. Maybe that means gathering around the candles of a birthday cake to celebrate a loved one. Or, or other times it's sitting around a campfire with friends and just sharing and talking deeply about life. But there just this seems to be something about fire that creates safety and intimacy and connection and closeness with those around us. And maybe that's why when the entire planet gathers for the greatest sporting competition on earth, the thing that kicks the entire event off is fire. Take a look at the screens.
Isn't that great? I, I, I watched that this week, and there's so many great memories there. There's this kind of feeling of nostalgia and unity and togetherness as you watch that video. You know, I was thinking as I was watching it, though, how much pressure was on that ski jumper, right? Like, I mean, like, can you imagine? Being, and he looks a little rocky. Like, they don't show the end. Did he make it? I think he did. But can you imagine, like, the entire, you know, globe watching you as you have to carry a flame down a huge ramp, jump, like, hundreds of feet in the air, and then you just, like, eat it, and the flame goes out? Wouldn't that be the worst? Anyway, I just thought that would be hilarious, but, but not cool. Anyway, uh, just really good history in that video. Uh, and again, what you see there is the majestic nature of fire, And maybe that's why God so often in scripture chooses to reveal himself with fire. Think of the burning bush that Moses encounters on the mountain. Or the pillar of fire that God uses to lead his people through the wilderness at night. So many examples of fire in the scriptures. And the story I want to look at this morning is one where God uses fire to bring his people together and to bring his people together back to himself. Our story this morning is from the Old Testament book of 1 Kings, and it takes place in northern Israel in an extremely dark time. You see, there have been a series of kings ruling in the north. None of them have been very good. All of them have led the people away from God, but the king who rules in our story this morning is named Ahab, and he is the worst king yet. 1 Kings chapter 16 tells us, Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. You see, this is an all-time low. Furthermore, Ahab marries a woman named Jezebel, and Jezebel is so evil that she makes Cruella de Vil look nice. Jezebel does not worship God. She doesn't worship the Lord. She worships a false god named Baal. And in spite of this, Ahab makes the decision to put her in charge of the entire nation's worship. And so as you read the story, the people begin to move farther and farther away from the Lord. And the question that you start to ask, the question that emerges in your heart as this story pushes forward is this. How long will God let this go on? How long will God just sit idly by and allow his people to be lured into the worship of these false gods? 1 Kings 17 verse 1. Then Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. Say that with me. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead. That's the name of a hero. This is the hero of our story today. This is our main character. It's the first time in the Bible that we meet the prophet Elijah. And this is the man that God sends to take on Ahab and Jezebel in his name. Elijah the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Mic drop, right? It's been thrown down. Elijah shows up on the scene to tell Ahab that because of all the evil that he is allowing to happen, God is going to send a drought on his land. And just so you know... The specific choice of drought here is quite significant 
It's a big part of the story because Baal, Jezebel's God, was considered to be the God of nature, the God of the elements. And part of what's happening here is that Elijah is saying, now we're going to find out whose God is real. Now we'll find out whose God is really in charge of the elements. Now we're going to find out whose God is really God and whose God is nothing more than a fairy tale. And a lot of time passes, and the drought continues, and the land has no rain, and the people are suffering. And just as King Ahab is at his wit's end, suddenly Elijah shows up on the scene again, and this time he comes with a challenge. First Kings chapter 18. Now, and this is Elijah speaking, now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. So Elijah issues this challenge. The king sends word out and all the people come. People from all over the nation have now gathered on Mount Carmel. And it's Elijah versus 850 false prophets. 850 to 1. And as the challenge begins, Elijah sets the stage. He turns to the people. He turns to the nation and he says, before we start, let me just remind you what this is all about. And he says, here is the problem. This is the problem we're addressing today. This is the problem that we are facing as a nation and as people. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And you know what, what strikes me about this moment, what strikes me about this challenge and what's at the center of this, of this showdown is that the people have not outright rejected God. Elijah doesn't say, hey, here's the problem. How come you have rejected the Lord? No, he says, how come you are wavering between God and other gods? And friends, I have to tell you, this is so important because this is how idolatry, this is how the worship of false gods works. Most of the time, idols, the false gods in our world and in our lives, they don't manifest themselves by saying, hey, psst, you need to reject God and come worship me. That's not what idols say. That's not how idols lure us in. No, the gods of this world, they'll say to you, sure, go ahead and keep God. Keep worshiping him. Just worship me as well. Just go back and forth. Just waver between the two of us. And the word waver in this passage in Hebrew, actually, it means hobble or limp. But what he says here is translated, how long will you hobble or limp between two opinions? And here's what he's saying. He's saying, you want to know why you are just limping through life? You want to know why you're just hobbling along and never becoming the person that God created you to be? You want to know why you're not experiencing the abundant life that God so longs for you to have? It's because you've forgotten what it means to live in full devotion to the one true God of the universe. You are wavering between two opinions. And I want to pause right here 
for just a moment and ask a painful but practical question. Anybody here got any bales in their life? You see, a bale, not just another God, it's not just a statue. A bale can be anything that tempts you away from full devotion to God. Anything in this world that wants to lure your allegiance and devotion away from full and complete devotion to the one true king. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's the way you approach your work, how much value you find in being successful. Maybe it's a financial situation that you're just obsessed on. Maybe your bail is a grudge that you're holding on to that you just refuse to let go of. For some in this room, your bail, at least one of them, is a habit or an addiction that no one else knows about. It's just got its hooks in you. And here's the thing about bales, about little false gods. They're sneaky, they're tricky, they can be deceptive. The most dangerous ones are often the ones that are very good things. Things that we're gifted at. Things that we're called to do, even things that God calls us to do. Things that were meant to be used for worship, not to be worshipped themselves. Where are you tempted to look for joy, satisfaction, security, when you should be looking to the Lord? Students, maybe for you, it's achievement. Maybe your bail is achievement. Achievement in school. You see, that's what gives you value. That's what makes you you. That's where you find your identity. I'm smart. I get good grades. I'm top of my class. Maybe it's sports. Maybe it's finding success in some activity where you get a lot of affirmation. Maybe you're tempted to think that you'll find satisfaction or security in looking a certain way. A lot of pressure in our world to make your appearance a little God, just a little God. Maybe it's being popular. Maybe it's having the right friends. You see, whatever Baal you're tempted to worship, it will tell you this. It will say, worship me and God together. You can worship me and you can worship God. But here's the truth, friends. The scriptures say, you can not. Jesus says it this way, no servant can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. The ultimate allegiance of your heart cannot and will not be divided. Over and over again, the scriptures uh, say this in a lot of different ways. Here's one of the ways the Bible teaches us this truth. This is from the book of Deuteronomy, and these words are used throughout the Old Testament and then in the New. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. A jealous God. And, and here is the image. Here's what that verse is saying. That verse is saying, in the same way that a fire longs to consume all of what it's burning, God wants all of you. He wants all of your worship. He wants all of your devotion. He does not want to share you because he, he knows that no other God will satisfy your life and soul the way only he can. How long will you waver between two opinions? How long will you limp and hobble through this life? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. Pick your path today. That's Eliza's message. Make a choice. But 
Elijah says, before you choose, before you make your decision, before you decide if you're gonna walk down this path or this path, follow Baal or the Lord your God, he says, first let's do a little experiment. First, let's weigh the facts. First, let's get an indication of which path might be best. For all you scientists out there, this is like, like chemistry lab. This is like, let's weigh the facts. Let's see the results before we make a choice. First Kings chapter 18. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let them choose one for themselves and then, and then cut it up into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord. The God who answers by fire, he is God. Let's see how this goes. You see, and what Elijah's doing here is he's intentionally stacking the deck. He's intentionally stacking the deck against God. He's making it hard for God. He's giving Baal the upper hand. He's forfeiting home court advantage for game seven of the playoffs. It's like I said earlier, Baal was the god of the elements. And so raining down fire from heaven, that should have been a piece of cake for Baal. In the pictures of Baal, he's often depicted with actual fire bolts coming out of his hands. And so Elijah says, hey, I'll play a game and I'll even play your game and I'll play on your home court. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Oh, Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. Now at this point, Elijah really wants his people to understand the silliness, the absurdity, the absolute hopelessness found when you put your hope in Baal. And so he begins to sarcastically taunt them. I call it trash talk. Again, it's biblical. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is in deep thought or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And here is what I want you to see here. The Baals in this world, the other gods that are tempting your life, friends, you can seek them, you can worship them, you can follow them, you can live for them, you can give yourself to them, you can bleed for them, but they will never answer the deepest desires of your heart. They never will. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. This is how much the false gods of our world care about you. And so the question becomes, are you giving your life, 
Are you giving your heart? Are you pouring out your devotion and time and energy for something this, in this world that in the end will have nothing to offer you in return? There was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. And now it's Elijah's turn. Then Elijah said to all the people, come here to me. They came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which was in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. So Elijah takes this torn down altar of the Lord and he repairs it and he circles it with 12 stones. Any kids out there today? Got kids in the audience? I need 12 kids to come down and help me with my sermon. It's only going okay, and if you come help, it'll get better. So come on down. I need 12 of you over here. We're going to take these 12 stones, representing the different tribes of Israel, and we're going to stack them around our altar here. So just put them, grab one, carry it over. Thanks, Wilson, right there. Good job. Just all around in a circle. Right? That's perfect. You guys are doing great. Keep going. Right over there. Maybe in front. No, that's okay. That's, just leave that there. Just leave that there. Good job. This is good. And after you do that, you can go back and have a seat. Thank you so much. Keep going. Thanks, Alex. A bit over here on the side, kiddo. Good job, buddy. Oh, man, big stones. You girls are strong. Good job. Perfect. We got all 12? Yes, we do. There's a space there. We're going to take care of that, aren't we? Good job. Thanks, Ari. That's awesome. You nailed it. Great work. There it is. Our altar is complete. Yeah, give the kids some love. So the question is, why does Elijah do this? Why does he take time to put these 12 stones in place? And the answer is that he wants to make a very clear statement to the people, and the statement is this. Remember when all of us were God's people? Remember when all of us, all 12 tribes, put our hope and faith and trust in him? Remember when we were united together around the Lord and things were going so good? You see, Elijah is saying, remember that time because that is what made us such a strong people. It wasn't us. It was that we put our faith and devotion in the one true living God. That's where we found our strength. It was in being devoted to him. With the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it large enough to hold two seahs of seed. That's a big, huge bag of seed. He arranged the wood cut the bull into pieces and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering and on the wood. Do it again, he said, and they did it again. Again, he's not giving God an easy out here. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. The water drenched it and ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. And so imagine now for a moment, friends, how the people are feeling. Put yourself in the store. You've been up on this mountain all day out in the scorching, blistering sun and heat. You've already been there for hours and nothing has happened. And now you've just watched gallons of water drench this altar. And so in your mind, you are thinking, there is no way. There is no way anything is going to happen. I cannot imagine that this soaking wet altar is going to be consumed by fire from heaven. No chance. 
But also in the back of your mind, because you've heard the stories and maybe you've had some experiences yourself, there's this fleeting hope. There is this nagging little sense that maybe, just maybe, God will show up. And so the people move closer and they lean forward and they're on the edge of their seats and they're, they're on pins and needles and the question in their minds is maybe just maybe will God come through will God show up will Elijah's God do something amazing right now at the time of the sacrifice the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed O Lord God of Abraham Isaac and Israel Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench." Thanks, Dax. <laughs> when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, The Lord is God. The Lord, He is God. I have to tell you, first service, it didn't work. <laughs> it was like this teeny little flicker of a flame, and we were so bummed, and everyone like stood, and then it just like hardly didn't. I was like, well, I'm really sorry you had to come to first service, you know. It'll work in the second service, so thank you, Lord, for letting it work. Um, yesterday, we had a flame. Dax, no lie, right? This high, it was huge. We almost burned the church down. Don't tell anyone, especially Dan Larson. Okay. And so the people respond, the fire comes from heaven and just soaks up this entire altar and all the water and everything is just incinerated and consumed by his power, his power found in this fire. And the question that this story is begging us to ask is this, what is competing with God in your life? What is competing with God for your time and energy and devotion these days? Is there something in your world that has pulled you away and has you limping along without complete devotion to him? Maybe to this morning it's time to name it. Maybe God is saying, do not let it hold you back any longer. Bring it to the altar. Surrender it to me. Maybe today is a first step away from wavering, away from just limping and getting by through life. Maybe this morning you're here and you need to declare again, or maybe for the first time, that there is only one God worthy of your devotion and worship and praise and life, and he is the Lord of heaven and earth. Because he's not just the God of power, friends. He's not just the God of fire. He's also the God of love and grace and tremendous mercy. He's a God who, in order to bring you back to himself, did not just burn up an altar, but all of sin and death. And he did it by giving his own life, the life of his one and only son on the cross. And then three days later, he raised him to new life. So this morning... You have an opportunity to choose, to decide, 
to declare once more who you will devote your one and only life to. And if you want to worship Jesus, if you want God to be your God, then the invitation is here. Come to the table. Come to the table and take the bread and say, his body that was broken, it wasn't just broken for the world or for sin, it was broken for me. His blood that was shed did not just forgive the sins of the world, He forgives my sin. Come and receive the bread and the cup and receive the invitation for the God of the universe to be your God, for him to be your father, for you to be one of his children. And maybe this morning as you come, in exchange for the bread and the cup, maybe just in your mind, there's a little God. There's an idol. There's a veil that you just need to leave on the table. Lord, This little God's been competing with you in my life for too long and I don't want him to anymore. I just say again today, I say again this morning in this meal that you are the only God in my life. And you just do some time with God and you just ask him to help you make him your only and top priority. Maybe ask him what it looks like to take some steps towards ridding yourself of that false God, that bail in your life. But come to the table this morning to receive this free gift, this free gift of love and mercy and grace and power to live the life of devotion that God created you to live. I'm gonna pray and then give you just a few minutes to spend some time with the Lord and the tables will be open. When you're ready, come, take the bread, take the cup, or receive the elements on our own in our seats. Pray with me if you would. Father, thank you for this wonderful story where you show up in power, you show up in fire, where you remind us of your presence and you draw us together around your personhood. Thank you for reminding us that you're strong enough to consume anything that we will put on the altar. I pray, Lord, this morning that your Holy Spirit would be lifting out of our minds and hearts the places and the things and the areas where we're not completely devoted to you, Lord. Help us to see the roadblocks. May may you enlighten those, those false gods in our minds and hearts. Remind us, Lord, of what it looks like to be completely devoted to you. Remind us of the abundance and the joy and the strength and the peace that comes from having you on the throne of our lives. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your death and for your resurrection. We love you. We pray it all in your name. Amen.